0: or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, I welcome my friend and colleague, Camille Leek, to talk about building capacity for what's different.
1: Through your course, I was able to understand the difference between dissociating and detachment. I recognize what is happening around me, or I recognize the energy a person is, is, is sending my way, and I'm not attaching to it. That is to say, I rec- it's not about me personally, but it is the response of their collective experience.
0: Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast. I am your host, Luis Mujica. I was sick and depressed until I discovered that I could make music, and then my whole life transformed because I began learning how to listen more deeply. Listen to life, to the people around me, and to my body. And that's when I realized that the body speaks through sensations, and learning this new language meant relearning my body and mind. I soon healed myself of many chronic conditions, and then began teaching others how to do so as well. Holistic Life Navigation combines nutrition, self-inquiry, and somatic experiencing to help you release stress and trauma just by listening to your own body. This podcast serves as a place to share my experiences as well as the experiences of many others who have healed and are healing through unique, unorthodox, and unusual ways. Your time to learn begins now. Camille was in attendance for my recent six-week course. And um, there was something very special about her that my friend and assistant Marika and I noticed right away. And part of that difference was, I think, or what I recognized in her was uh, something that I have in myself, which is I'm more curious than I am judgmental, not 100% of the time, but I love being curious. And I don't like to defend my judgments. It just doesn't feel good in my body. Growing up, I never understood binary thinking. I grew up in an ambiguous body. I grew up with ambiguous race. I grew up with an ambiguous mind, bisexual. I've never been in that place where, yes, this is me. Even saying bisexual or ambiguous sounds like limiting for me. There's just a flow that moves through my body. And I don't always want to name it. So growing up in this world where we must name everybody and everything never quite resonated. And it's actually what caused me to drop out of college and not become a psychologist. Because the more I was learning how to classify people, the less I was learning how to relate to people. Instead, I was learning how to judge and look for certain characters, gestures, belief systems, and based on that, create an identity for this individual. Whereas I was more interested in the nature of that person. These expressions, these behaviors, these patterns that we have names for, what's the nature in you from where that comes from? What's the source of pain from where those expressions emerge from? And those expressions aren't you. They're expressions of something deeper. Something deeper that's not you. And I was just always so interested in that. So I spent the next 10 years of my life literally working at jobs where I made $7 an hour, but practicing what I do now, um, relating, inquiring, being curious, uh, learning how to relate to individuals. And it was mind-blowing. And I, I slowly started undoing my own unconscious biases, allowing them to be conscious and sitting with them and learning where they were formed. I released a lot of prejudice. I didn't even know I was carrying and I felt much more safe in my body, which made me feel safer in the world. So when I saw Camille, I saw that in her and I asked her to do, um, have an appointment with Marika and I, and we spoke and we loved her so much and said, please join the team. And she did. And the work she does is called DEI. It's diversity, equity, and inclusion. And she did it for many years for corporations. And now she focuses on individuals and groups and businesses, I believe. And what interests me about DEI, especially in our current climate, is a lot of us are trying to not offend, not get canceled, not say the wrong thing. What I love about Camille is she is all about saying the wrong thing, not in a way that's disrespectful or hurtful or even controversial, but in a way that's honest Whatever's honest for you, let us hear it. Let yourself see that you won't be denied for what's coming through you. Instead, we're going to reflect back to you what is in there so you can learn how to relate to it. If you're saying something or doing something that hurts somebody, you get to connect to it in yourself and see how you feel about it. And in our membership, actually, my membership, I have a very, very simple protocol for controversy for discomfort, for ruptures, any kind of issues that happen within the the group dynamic. And the protocol is if someone is offended or hurt by something you did or said, we sit with that person first and we help them find out if they're being triggered or if you really harmed them because that can be very confusing to the body. And then when we work with them and they feel at a settled place, then we come to you and we ask you just to reflect on what you said or did just to see what it feels like in your body. Are you okay with it? Or is there a part of you that says, "Hmm, I'm actually not okay with that. And if you're okay with it, I'm not gonna tell you to stop doing it. If you're not okay with it, I'm not gonna tell you to stop doing it. It's an opportunity to feel into a part of yourself that may not be conscious and then get to know that part and then relate to that part. And then from there, behavior or belief or expression might shift or might not. However, we live in this culture where we're trying not to go to those edges. However, if we don't go to the edges, we never get to know parts of us that are inconvenient. We never get to meet parts of us that are controversial, parts of us that are harmful, parts of us that are violent even. And by not being in relationship with those parts, that's how violence gets created. That's how violence gets um, um, defended, and uh, validated, let's say, if we're in relationship with that part, we don't have to act out the violence, we get to be in relationship with it, because it's a part of us that's looking for attention, that has some unmet needs, some stored trauma, and the violence is just one expression of that. So I wanted to have Camille on just to speak about the somatics and the trauma-informed lens around diversity, around difference, around building capacity for disagreements, and understand her personal story of birth, childbirth, that led her to understand and want to connect her body on a deeper level. Hello, my friend.
1: Hello.
0: (laughs) Uh, You know, the recording automatically started. So do you want to just dive right in?
1: Yeah, we can. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to stop it. So I was just like, I'll go with it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, welcome to the show. So nice to have you here. I hate some, some of you listening are already familiar with Camille. If you're in the membership or if you've ever been in this recent course, that might be it or if you went on my website, but Camille is new to our family and she's doing a lot of, a lot of good work with us, um, specifically helping us with the collective management. Like, so when we do a course or in our membership, we have this forum. It's a private online forum where everyone can share like resources and ask questions, and Camille is a Virgo, and she, <laughs> capital V, capital I, and she goes on there, and you answer the questions as if it's me answering them. So I'm always amazed by your ability to uh, not just understand but integrate all this work that we do, all this somatic work. It's amazing. So anyway, you're you're building my capacity, and I thank you for that. But uh, that's how I know you. tell us about you who are you to you introduce yourself to this beautiful audience
1: sure oh such a question who am i um so uh,
0: we'll play with it (laughs) (laughs)
1: um so yeah i I mean a, a little bit about me um I guess I really began to come into this uh, somatic work about a year ago, uh, learned more about you and and somatic experiencing and have just sort of been on my own journey as it relates to decolonization that really, um, I guess, sparked about six years ago when when I gave birth to, to my first child. And I, um, although, everyone said it'd be a horrible experience. It was one of the most peaceful experiences in my life. And I remember thinking like, why can't the rest of my life be like that? And so since then, I've sort of just been on this journey of, um, really decolonizing and trying to find out what it means for me to be centered, aligned and grounded on a consistent and persistent basis. Um, And a little bit of that that journey has also been related to to my own personal work. So I am a diversity, inclusion, and equity practitioner. And so I support organizations and individuals on their journey to um, move from what I call apathy to advocacy. So how do you show up as allies and advocates to um, marginalized identities? And increasingly, I found that a Missing part of that work, particularly in the corporate space where I began, was really understanding our relationship to trauma, um, generational trauma, trauma, community trauma, and understanding even if we don't have a marginalized identity, we can still experience cultural trauma, um, and and can't really bypass understanding that trauma to get to inclusion and equity.
0: And it's so much. I want to ask you. I, I love. I love that the the birth experience was like your initiation, you know, because it's such a sensational experience. Mm -hmm. So I guess I kind of wonder what was life like before that for you? Like, how did you live and exist in your body? And then what shifted?
1: Yeah. um, So it was this interesting sort of simultaneous thing throughout my entire life. So I've always, for a long time, I was really, really uncomfortable in my body. I've always been sort of, big, fat, and black, like from the age of five, I was physically really imposing on people. And um, both implicitly and ex- explicitly, that was known to me um, by others. And um, or, yeah, made known to me by others. So I felt really, really uncomfortable in my body for a very, very long time. At that same time, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's divine intervention or like ancestral wisdom, but I knew Even before I knew I wanted to have kids, that if I had kids, it wasn't going to be in a hospital. It wasn't going to be with doctors. Something in me was just told me, like, you're not sick when you're giving birth. So you don't need to go to a hospital. You don't need to to go to a doctor. There was just something, even though I didn't like my body, that was like the one thing I knew. Um, And and so as I I got older, um, even though I was still really uncomfortable in my body, that stayed with me. And even when I got to a place, when I did get to a place where I wanted to have children, again, I just knew I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this at a birthing center. I'm going to have a midwife. Um, Even though a lot of folks would say, which was really surprising to me. I mean, a lot of people who would say like, oh, you can do that. I didn't know you had that choice. I didn't know you had that option, which was mind blowing to me um, that people didn't realize they they had options and how they could give birth. But um, I realized that in the midst of labor, like as I'm going through a contraction, um, even though I couldn't verbalize it at at the time, it's just like, I'm I'm really, really grounded. I'm really, really aligned. It was, and I have this word now, it was one of the most expansive experiences. And I finally realized, even though I knew this going into it, but I, I didn't really know it till I experienced it, is that fundamentally I got out of the way and let spirit and nature do their thing. Like I didn't I didn't have to do anything except trust, except sort of just self-surrender. And so that was a big pivot point that outside of that, everything else in my life, I was trying to force it. I'm supposed to look a certain way. I'm supposed to eat a certain way. I'm supposed to make money a certain way. And in that moment, I realized, well, what if I ascribed the way I approached birth to everything else in my life. Now that was a big question to myself. Cause then I was just like, well, how can I do that? It felt like I could create this container for, for myself as it related to, to birth, but for everything else, it felt like, well, everybody else controls those spaces. How do I assert and affirm my, uh, myself in spaces that I don't
0: control? So I love this because when I think of trauma healing somatically, I'm often um, comparing it to contractions, mm. because right, because just like when you said letting nature take over, it, the the experience of a body birthing another body is so ancient. It's mm-hmm. like what this planet is made of, essentially, okay. whether it's a seed from a fruit or you know a human body, and in that is this strange, and I've only experienced it empathically, is this strange moment of I'm supposed to open into something that I actually want to close against, right? And I find that to be so beautiful. Uh, as you know, with the work that I do, we're, we're consistently witnessing this residue in charge of threat, which we call trauma in the body. And the body wants to do everything in its power to constrict against that. And the most strange counterintuitive way of releasing it is actually, I have to open into this threatening charge. So, how did you experience that giving birth? Like, tell me. Is, is that what you're you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, no, that,
1: that, that totally is. Like when, when, when people ask me, well, like, how do I not have a horrible contraction? I'm just like, you got to relax. Um, and and it, it, I know it sounds so hokey saying it, but it really is. Um, you just kind of got to lean into it. And I do think it goes back to that trust. Now, um, things that helped me sort of going into it, like expanding into the contraction was one, just reminding myself, like, People have been doing this for years. Like you don't, you don't have to. Uh, if it was so bad, humans would not exist. Um, I, I actually this helped me. I actually decided to watch some videos of animals giving birth, and again, just kind of watch chimpanzees, specifically bonobo chimpanzees, because they're closest to humans. Um, and I watched this uh, bonobo chimpanzee giving birth, and they were just so relaxed. They were just kind of you didn't, you wouldn't even think that they were giving birth. Like they were still walking around, they were eating, they were socializing. It wasn't until like the very, very end that they kind of went off into a corner and did their thing. Um, That just sort of affirmed to me that the way you do it is to just sort of relax. And when you tense up, that's when it becomes even worse. And um, one thing that, that, that did really, well, part of my journey was that I think a lot of the initial constriction comes from is that we're told it's supposed to hurt. I know I grew up watching TV shows where women go into, oh my God, I can't help baby out of me okay so it's supposed to be a horrible experience or even like in the church like okay um Eve committed the first sin so that's why your period and baby's hurt this is the this is the the burden you have to uh. bear as a woman so like all of this like it's supposed to hurt it's supposed to be painful what if the narrative was different what if we were told like actually it's an incredible experience mm. it's it's beautiful and and I tell these people to people it wasn't easy but it was one of the most easeful experiences of my life
0: See, so, yeah, I, I find that whole um like societal conditioning to be true for everything like mm-hmm. death loss love grief like we have so many ideas of what these are supposed to be like that yes. right like when they're happening we actually believe it's the worst thing in the world yet there is this nature this ancestry and ancientness to ancients of 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 um all of these painful human experiences, they're vital to life. And so I, I love to see what it's like to deconstruct what I've been told I should feel from actually, what am I actually feeling? Is it actually as bad as I think it is, right? Because my mind is overcoupling an entire connotation over a, a situation that's actually unfurling and changing every second. It's not fixed. Um, and it, it's it, as I'm saying it, it, it segues me into the DEI work Because, you know, I think of like for many people, like it sounds so boring, like no offense to you. It's just like, you know, because like when you hear an acronym, you're like, oh, what's that? But it's so rich and powerful and beautiful. And and I, I especially love the way that you hold it because it comes from that same place in you, of essentially like, who are we in relationship with one another without the bias? without the prejudice, without right. And I, I want you in your own words to tell me what that means to you.
1: Absolutely. Cause um, yeah, I, I see all things as connected. So um people are like what does birth have to do with diversity and inclusion? But I, I actually have a very similar experience where people would say, you know Giving, giving natural birth, like, oh my gosh, that must be horrible. That must be so hard. People say the same thing about being a, a DEI practitioner, like, oh my gosh, that must be so draining. You have to deal with people and their biases and their prejudices and seeing really ignorant things. It must take a lot out of you. Actually, I find it really invigorating. After I facilitate a session, I feel really good. Um, I don't feel drained. I don't feel feel used um, because I, I think i approached it very similar to the way I approached giving birth, where it was, I wanted to stay in a place of curiosity. Like, let's just see, where does this take us? Um, and so I, I know I do approach DEI work a little bit differently than, than some other, um, practitioners and, you know, everyone has their approach to it. But one of the things that I personally, um, practice is that my goal is not to change anything about anyone. I have no, I put absolutely no energy into trying to change somebody's behaviors or their beliefs because I can't. Um, Fundamentally, what my goal is to do as a facilitator, a DEI facilitator, is simply to create a space and a place where they may be exposed to a perspective or experience they hadn't considered. And maybe that sparks something in them to want to dig a little bit deeper um to want to understand more and and, and i love being the conduit or, or facilitator for that experience
0: i i love that so much because that's actually that was what made me want to hire you onto my team right it was it wasn't that you did dei work it was that you did it with that amount of curiosity an interest. And there was just this sense and Marika and I was, we always talking about it. There was a sense of you because you were in the course. That's how I met you. There was like this sense of you just being okay with everything. Um, and people get that confused with like, you know, a, like not even allowing what's the word we get it confused with. What? Passivity, but even passive. I'm, I'm, even I'm a little okay with passive. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm passive. Like, but people, I know
1: a lot of people don't. They're like, oh, you're so passive. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I think there's this there's this idea, and it's it, I think it's increased. Maybe it, mm-hmm. it's always been here, but now with technology, we hear it more. But there's this idea that if you're not against something, you're for it. Mm. right and let's talk
1: about that let's talk
0: about that because that's what really attracted me to working with you was I could I could just feel something in your spirit your face I don't know what it was you weren't against anything and I was like that's interesting because a lot of people who do any kind of diversity work of any kind like and I always have to say this out loud we always think when we hear this we're just talking about black people Yes. We're not. We're talking about any minority of any like what what like help me out with like yeah. sex, so, race, what so, Gender,
1: <laughs> gender identity, religion. I even do politics. A lot of uh, DEI practitioners won't get into that. Uh, disability status, veteran status. I mean, it's all these different things, but yes. end, like, diversity is just the things that make us different from one another. Yes,
0: yeah. yes. I love that's what I love. It's like you holding space for variety. Mm-hmm. And what I find so important is um again in this landscape there's such and this is where the trauma piece comes in there's such a fear of being banished that we're so quick to fawn or we're so quick to fight or flight but we don't really have curiosity as much right like "Mm, that person opposes everything i believe why versus I need to get as far away from this possible so no one thinks I'm like them or I need to shame them, right? So yeah. tell me about this thing of like, if I'm not against it, I'm for it.
1: So yeah, so um, part of my journey um even as as a kid growing up, was binary. Like, I never really got the idea of binary. Um, I remember, I can't remember where I heard it from, but one of the first things I remember hearing as a child is someone say, "Um, the Constitution is like the Bible. You don't get to pick and choose. And I remember thinking, why not? There might be pieces of the Bible or the Constitution I agree with, and there might be pieces of it that, that I don't. Why is it all or nothing? And that has sort of been... Sort of my, my curiosity or the lens through which I perceive a lot of people is, is a step that all of nothing, either you're with us or against us, it either you can either be conquered or be a conqueror. And I'd prefer to be a conqueror. And I was like, but wait, I feel like there's a middle between that. You don't have to be conquered or be a conqueror. But it was that binary thinking that I just found so pervasive across everything. And um, the really, the the part of of diversity inclusion work that I really loved was this idea of a spectrum, this idea of gray, this idea of things are fluid. And I get for a lot of people, that's hard because that's confusing. The binary is easy because if I know this one thing about you, then I can predict 78 things about you. But if we allow for gray, if we allow for um, a spectrum, it feels like, oh, now things are just so complex. We don't know what to do. But I, I get the logic of that, but intuitive how it feels in my body, it actually feels much more simple to allow for nuance, to allow for the gray, to allow for spectrum. Even when we think about things like whether it's religion or gender identity or sexuality, if we just say, oh yeah, it's a spectrum and we just left it there. I don't know. It just feels much more intuitive in my body.
0: Hey, my friends, I want to take a break from the episode to remind you that my next six week course begins on Monday, May 2nd. Registration for this course opens on April 5th, that same day I'll be hosting a live webinar with replays that explains how the course works, shows you what it looks like, and answers any of your questions live. Any of you that really want to get into this course, go to my website right now, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click on the course at the top, and then click join waitlist. This guarantees you a spot because you'll receive an email one week before registration opens inviting you to early register, so then you get in before it sells out. This course is my favorite thing right now because we're joined by a global group of people, first of all, who are coming together around the same piece, wanting to release their stress and trauma through listening to their body. So a bunch of body listeners get to sit together live for six weeks and through the six weeks you have ongoing support with a private online community space we've created and from me and my team to answer your questions help you with any technical issues and emotionally guide and support you throughout the six weeks for more information on the course visit holisticlifenavigation.com now let's get back to the episode And that's a gift of yours, you know, you came into this planet with because I I completely relate to that. Like I never, I mean, especially the body I was born in, the family I was born into, the mind I was born into, I biologically didn't have a binary. So for me, the idea of a, to me, queer was having a binary, you know, like before queer became what it is now, like that it used to be like a negative term when I was growing up. It's like, I was like, no, the weird people are the ones that actually believe what's one or the other. Like That was so strange to me. And so what I love what you were saying was, and again, this is where the trauma information comes in for those of us listening who want to like build a capacity for disagreement or those of you who are mediators or inclusion specialists and anything you do to try to create more relating. That's really what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to relate more. Uh, that piece of if I know what it is, then I can predict what's next... That's the piece that is driven from our traumatized systems yeah. because trauma does not like spontaneity. It does not like it. So when our systems are filled with charge from traumatic events, and we're always on the edge of being overadrenalized, we have PTSD and we're hypervigilant, we're looking for something to go wrong. And if I know you are um, a white, straight, racist guy, and that's I've decided that's who you are, there's no other nuance for you, I'm allowed to mobilize into my defenses. And from that place, there's a sense of safety. There's a sense of knowing. If I question that, and I think there must be more to you than that, or if you believe that, where did that come from? There, There's an openness in me to that person. And just like with the birth, this is how they relate. Like you were saying, it's like my intuition, what I've been taught the reflex of having a traumatized system. If I judge something in you as bad, I also judge it as a threat and I immediately constrict against it. It's strange to actually open your heart into someone that you think could be a threat. Mm -hmm. And all of you listening, I'm not saying you walk arms open into someone with a weapon. I mean like in your spirit, in your nervous system, in your mind, right? Opening up to the curiosity of that individual that feels very vulnerable and scary to the body, right? So how do you, and again, this is, just keep saying, one of the reasons I wanted to work with you is because, and anyone listening, if you're under, like Camille is a black woman mm-hmm. who walked into walks and walked into primarily white cisgendered straight male spaces. Now, like with dozens of men, that interests me because that takes a certain amount of capacity. It'd be like any of you listening who are Democrats, walking into a room of 100 Republicans. That would terrify somebody. of you. Like, that's what it's like. How was it for you to walk into the spaces and not judge them, not be angry at them? Or if you yeah. did, what did you do with that? Like, I'm curious about that. So
1: that, that was a journey, too, um, where, because it's also related so many things in my head. Um, but so yeah, there is that overcoupling. Like, totally understand why we, when we have marginalized identities, Be constricted because there was a point when we were open, we were vulnerable, and we were hurt. And when we constricted, we were then safe. So if I just anticipate that hurt coming from the dominant or privileged identity, I can avoid being hurt again. For me, that could only take me so far. For me, that wasn't um, that wasn't living, and that wasn't loving. And that really came to awareness for me, after the birth of my first child. So after, um, my first child, Malcolm, I, after being on maternity leave for, for a while, I went back into work and, um, there were a lot of things happening that year with, uh, some police brutality and police officers killing, um, on, on black citizens. And I would find myself sitting at my desk, just welling up, having just having sort of this, this emotional reaction. And at that point, I'm still in my colonized self where it's just like, we don't cry at work, especially you're a woman, Camille, get your shit together. What are you doing? You don't, and I didn't even know what I was crying about. Um, because I anticipated once I had a child that maybe my concerns around police brutality, racial profiling would increase. Um and so I was really prepared for that. Maybe I would have a greater sense of fear, a greater sense of anger. But that th- those that's not what I was feeling. And then after a while, I came to the realization. Oh, I'm not angry or even hateful or fearful right now. What I'm feeling is guilt, and nobody prepared me for that. No one. It never entered my mind that there would come a point where I would feel like immense ways of guilt for choosing to bring a black person into this world, knowing that they would, what they would have to experience. So after coming to that realization, I really just had to spend a little bit of time, not just coming to terms with what my child would experience in this world, but what I had already experienced. And I got to a place where I understood, yes, racism is very real. Racial profiling is very real. Um, And right now in this moment, for example, my kids are outside playing and having fun. Um, Right now, in this moment, I am doing this awesome podcast with you, and that is where I'm choosing to put my energy. Um, So I'm not choosing to dwell in the potential impact of racism or or racial profiling on them or me, but I do recognize it as as a a part of, of, of our daily lives. And then specifically in corporate America, when I was dealing with predominantly older white cisgender straight men who didn't really have a appetite for, 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 for DEI, one of the key things that I had to, 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 to learn in terms of their reaction is that it had nothing to deal with me. And, and now I even have the wording for it after engaging with you. I wasn't even engaging with them. I was engaging with their trauma response. Because again, they hadn't done their work when it, when it came to any trauma they may have experienced, let alone trauma specifically as it relates to any form of, of culture, generation, diversity. Um, so I wasn't really engaging them and they weren't engaging with me. What I was engaging with was their need to, to, to fight or flight or fawn. Um, and, and so that, that helped me. That I'm, This isn't about Camille in this moment. But this is about everything that they've experienced leading up to it. Um, and so, so that, that really helped me. And it, it was interesting because it would manifest in some, um, yeah, interesting ways where I'd be doing the session and maybe if, as it related to LGBTQ people and um, someone was like really obstinate towards it. And then throughout the session, they get to a place where they would say, well, you know, I had a parent when I was 12 who left because they up and decided to be gay. And I don't, I don't, I don't care about them being gay, but I was 12 and then they were just kind of gone. They, they moved and I said, ah, that's what we're we're dealing with here, and so it was the, just those kind of things um, that that I found to to be important, and you know, I've shared this with you. Like I oftentimes use the Yoda quote: um, "Fear uh, leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering." So my practice is really just to remember that that underlying any sort of hate or anger I encounter, it's fear. It's that trauma.
0: So gorgeous. I mean, there's so many things you spoke to that I thought were were really profound. I loved the example of uh, attunement and orientation when you were talking about um, the reality of like collective racialized trauma and profiling, and the possibility of that occurring to you or your family. And am I oriented toward the possibility of it, or am I oriented toward the reality that right now it's not happening? that's such a powerful practice that i find so many people with trauma when they start practicing that regardless of whatever the trauma is from it frees them because in this moment when you're actually able to attach to the reality that nothing's happening now even if it does you get to live in this reality of i'm safe now until i'm not compared to i'm feeling threatened until i'm actually threatened it's two different ways of living and it's not, it's like the opposite of bypassing. Cause people have said to me, like, Luis, aren't you just teaching us bypassing? I'm like, nope. Because bypassing would say it doesn't exist. Bypassing would say, you know, you're making it up. Bypassing would say, don't focus on it. What I love about attunement and, and orienting is we orient to the present. So we have capacity for what's real. Right. So when I see something on the news or when I experience it in my own body, I get to experience it from having capacity versus I'm experiencing it from having super low capacity because I've been in a stuck trauma response because I'm like imagining and waiting for it or taking it in you know from media regardless of whatever the situation is mm-hmm. so I find that to be really profound and the piece you're saying about realizing when you're with these men and their anger they're shut down they're falling whatever it was it wasn't them it was their trauma response and that's why I I just, the dictator in me wants everyone to be trauma informed. It's like, can I just make everyone be trauma informed? It's like, no, I can't. Let it go, Louise. But it's something about that lights me up because of what you just said. When we are trauma informed, we start seeing each individual body as an animal that has all this stored knowledge that the mind doesn't know it has. So when this person's like spitting at me or yelling at me or calling me a name, that's that animal reflexively responding to me based on its own trauma. It doesn't mean I let them do it, but it comes from a place where I'm not identifying with it. I don't think it's my fault. I'm not using my energy to judge them. I'm not cluttering my heart with hatred. I actually understand it and I choose to walk away from it. Okay. Is that where you're at now as well?
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I Again. Yeah. Like, um, I really love the idea of attachment and detachment. And that was something in working with you that I was really able to, to work through. Because I, I did. I thought, because people had told me, oh, you're bypassing or you're dissociating. I was like, I'm not. And through your course, I was able to understand the difference between dissociating and detachment. I recognize what is happening around me or I recognize the energy a person is, is, is sending my way and I'm not attaching to it. That is to say, I rec- it's not about me personally, but it is the response of their collective experience. Um, and, and to your point, that's not to um, excuse or, or dismiss the behavior, but I can totally understand it. I can empathize with it because guess what? I'm not perfect. There has been aspects in my life where I've probably displayed the very same trauma responses because of things that I've been conditioned with or things that, that I've experienced. Um, so if I want people to create space or have grace for me, I can, I'd can. absolutely like to extend that to, to other people.
0: I, lo- I love that, especially when you just said, you know, you, you yourself have had that trauma response with other people, similar trauma response. And I'm actually thinking of this morning with me. I went to this garage to pick up my car. They were fixing it. And my trigger is actually white straight men because that's who bullied me. That's who assaulted me. Like that's what I experience a lot of hatred from. So I have this overcoupling to this day, like danger, danger, danger. And so you walk into like a mechanic garage and that's essentially what you see depending Mm -hmm. on where you live. And so I walk in, there's like six or seven of these men and I noticed right away, my, my voice goes from this to, I'm here to get in my car, <laughs> you know, like tucked in, shoulders up, like I need to be as normal as possible so no one you know hurts me. And I noticed it, which was amazing because in the, you know, my life before this was living that out. I had no idea I was even doing that. But I noticed it. I noticed the it was that part of me that was scared. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, I know you're scared, but we don't know these people. Let's see what it's like to open our heart to them and then see what they do. And it was a totally different situation. It was so soft and something melted in me and the guy made nice eye contact. It just became this like simple, you know, unremarkable experience essentially. <laughs> you know? And so I think that piece there about so good people to hear that through this language that we're using, that when we see someone doing something and we really have to understand that word, like you said, dissociative, like not in the body, like rage, hatred, screaming fighting that is not an embodied state like Mm. people think it is because we get high and we think that's embodied they're out of their mind that's happening so there is no conscious decision it's a reflex and it's nice for us all to hear that so we can start seeing people not as bad but as their behavior as oh an extension of something unconscious Mm -hmm. you know and it's no one's job to even fix that for them but when we live from that place of understanding that behavior, our obsession with hating people, it just goes like, right? It's just gone. Yeah. I don't even have to think about people anymore. No. <laughs> yeah, like, no, you know?
1: I, I, I totally agree. Like, if, if I had to boil it down to two things, it really is that idea of staying in a place of curiosity and not taking things personal. And and, and I guess the third thing is it's not about good or bad. Is It isn't like, how could someone do that? The question I now have is, oh, what happened to them? Um, Because no one, to your point, wakes up in a dissociative space. Something brought them to to that space. And I'm curious to know, what was that that something? What's that story? Um, Again, not to uh, dismiss or excuse or approve the behavior, but trying to to understand. Um, Yeah, because if nothing else, like I was saying before, it's going to be applicable to other situations as well.
0: You know, one thing that... um really changed my life was i went through this period of looking up the people who had assaulted me and trying to like find them and trying to understand like from a place i was at now what would lead them to do that and then what would lead them to you know make rumors about me in school all these things and what was profound was i started feeling this like deep sense of love for them because I rather be me who got hurt than having hurt someone, right? And I was like, okay, I can actually feel for them because I can't imagine what it's like to live with that. And then I had discovered that one of them actually took their own life, and it was such um, like a confirmation of that person couldn't even stand to live in their own body, right? And I just happened to cross paths with that experience. Yeah. It was not because I was deformed. It wasn't because I did anything wrong. And it it was this huge, and for some of you listening, it might be too far to go depending on where you are in your experience, but it really changed my life. Like when we talk about forgiveness, like something shifted in me toward that person. And then I realized they had taken their life. And then there was just all this love like, well, you can't hurt me. You're not here. You didn't even love yourself. My goodness, I'll be the one person that could love you. And that was so transformative. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know where that goes for you. Like, what, when you think of the work you do?
1: Oh, no, that is. I mean, (laughs) It sounds hokey or cheesy, but hurt people hurt people like that is so true. I know we hear that a lot growing up, but it's absolutely true. Um, and, and, and particularly as it relates to, to, to DEI, I feel like that's what I've encountered a lot when it comes to any, particularly like like fight response is that, well, I don't get to be my authentic self. Why should you? Why should they? I have that's to right. conform, colonize. I do all these things to change myself to fit in you think you shouldn't have to either? And part of me was like, no, you don't have to either. Like we can all be our authentic selves, but I think that's fundamentally the, the pushback we see either across different communities and I've particularly seen this across generations. Um, and I think this, for example, I think that's why we hear like, oh, millennials were so entitled. Well, is it that we, lo- we saw in previous generations, like, oh, you had to do all these things to fit in, what if we don't? Um, you shouldn't have had to either. We wish you, you had the space, the ability to be your authentic selves. We'd like to continue that, that, that evolution. I think that's one of the, the, the biggest um, foundations of any pushback to diversity and inclusion um, a lot of people have. You
0: know. I just want to say to everybody, because we, we have to close soon, um, You know, Camille is part of the membership. And so I you know every week we work with our group and she holds a bi-weekly sacred circle, a monthly DI workshop there. And so any of you thinking about the membership, you can take you can be part of it after you take the course. So if you're interested in being part of this much more private personal space where we go deep into subjects with trauma and somatics, um, it's it's a beautiful place to be and she's adding so much to it. And I I want you to kind of tell them about how to find you outside of my work too. Like what's your work called? How can they work with you?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, I I do have a a DEI practice. You can um, find my website, um, Real Talk and Brave Spaces. Um, It's www.realtalkbravespaces.com. And through that work, I do uh, work with groups as well as one-on-one coaching. Um, You can also find me on LinkedIn. Yes, there are people who are still on LinkedIn under Camille Leek.
0: I just have to say as like a little testimony to you, uh, I have experienced as a trauma therapist, especially in the last like three years, well, I would say last two years, especially since George Floyd in 2020, so many people wanting to work with their unconscious bias. And uh, the people I've seen successfully do that are people who feel safe in space with the person they're doing it with. Because if we don't feel safe with a person, we go into trauma response. Mm -hmm. So if I'm sitting with someone, regardless of what the bias is, like you said, whether it's political, whether it's racial, whether it's gender, sex, money, whatever it is, whatever my bias is, if I'm sitting with someone that's like pushing me in a way that isn't trauma informed, I'm going to be fawning. I'm going to be dissociating. I'm not actually going to excavate through honesty. What you get to, what you offer specifically, is you give people that opportunity to literally be there without any judgment. It's that simple. And so you get mm-hmm. to reflect back to them, "Oh, there's your bias. Let's let's be let's get curious about your bias. Like you help them even love the bias part of them, so they can transform it. Yeah. And I think that's really special. And anyone listening that wants to do that work should definitely reach out to you because uh, it's going to be quite quite powerful for them.
1: Yeah. Please do. Yeah. No shame around bias. Spoiler alert. I got biases, a whole bunch of them. Um, So yeah.
0: (laughs) I feel like when you open your jacket, there's all like the watches. Like (laughs) look at all these shiny biases. All these biases. (laughs) Well, thank you, my friend. It is so sweet to have you here and uh, share you with everybody.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're welcome. We'll see you later. See ya. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. My question for you is, where do you feel the episode? Take a breath and just notice. What's your body doing right now? Sit with it. Let it speak to you. And let whatever comes up, come up. And your only job is to listen. For all the wisdom you need is right inside of you. To learn more about my work, you can visit holisticlifenavigation.com and sign up for my mailing list. You'll receive a weekly newsletter with specific monthly topics, free resources, and upcoming events. You can also follow me on Instagram. If you like my podcast, please leave a review and share. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events and the information is right there hope to see you there